0: The text that Pastor John is going to be using this morning for his remarks is Hebrews 13, verses 20 through 25. And for those of you that don't have your Bibles along, the Pew Bible in front of you, it would be on page 1,433. Starting then with verse 20. Now the God of peace... Who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. But I urge you, brethren, bear with this word of exhortation, for I have written it to you briefly. Take notice that our brother Timothy has been released. With whom, if he comes, I shall see you. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those from Italy greet you. Grace be with you all.
1: Father in heaven, we really meant it. When we sang, take my will and make it thine, it shall be no longer mine. We gladly, here at the beginning of this message, relinquish self-reliance, self-determination, and give it up to you. And we ask that you would so master us that we would not be rebels anymore against grace, against beauty, against holiness, against hope, against life, that you would take the suicidal bent out of our lives. Guard us now from the evil one, I pray. Forbid that he would pluck the seed off the path. Grant that it would find good soil. And that deep and remarkable things for your glory would be done in this hour. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Eighteen months ago, it was Palm Sunday, 1996. March 31st, we began working our way through Hebrews, and today we will finish it. It has been, for me, probably the highest plateau of enjoyment of God in His Word. Of all the plateaus I've walked around on for these 17 years, we've journeyed together in the Word of God. And it's not easy to leave it. Uh, but I, th- I thrill at the truth that we don't leave its God. And we don't leave its Christ. I have in these in these days with you, and I hope you have also, savored the supremacy of Christ in all things. Communed with Him. Enjoyed Him. Worshipped Him trusted him, gotten to know him better, delighted in him. The final word of God, he's called. The creator of the heavens and the earth, whom angels worship. The pioneer of our salvation, who was made perfect through suffering. The one who became flesh and died our death that we might be freed from the fear of death. A sympathetic high priest who opens the way to the throne of grace. The one who saves for all time those who draw near to God through him. The mediator of a new covenant that secures for us that the law will be written on our hearts that our sins will be forgiven and that God will be our God. The one whose blood purifies our consciences from dead works to serve the living God. The one who put an end to all sacrifices by putting himself forward as the final sacrifice for sin. The pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross and despised the shame and sat down at the right hand of God until all of his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. The one who suffered outside the gate, that he might sanctify the people by his blood. And the one who said, I will never leave you or forsake you, therefore you can confidently say, The Lord is my helper, I will not fear what can man do to me. That's the one we've been communing with and worshiping and enjoying and whose supremacy over the old covenant and over the old priesthood and over the old sacrifices has been seen as supreme and great. Now, when I get to the end this morning, I am going to give an invitation of a special kind because I promised you two, three weeks ago I would do this and. I want to do it that Christ might be glorified in the work that he's been doing in you. I can't but believe that in 18 months, through the ministry of the Word of this great book, many of you have been touched by God. And the seven ways that I think he has touched people significantly, and which I would like to invite to come to the front at the end to uh, publicly say, He did that, one of those things or more, and I want to seal it, and I want to let people know that God's been at work in my life. Here they are. Number one, if you have been converted and come to faith in Jesus Christ in these last 18 months through the influence of His Word, then you'll come. Second, if you were found to be straying or what Hebrews calls drifting and were awakened to the urgency of being vigilant in the Christian life and made a turn and got back on the road to serious pursuit of God and are thanking Him that He got a hold of you in time, you come. Third, If you have been enabled to renounce some weight or sin, you remember a few weeks ago we put the garbage cans here at the front and we scribbled on a piece of scrap paper those weights and those sins that are holding us back? Well, if God did something in the last 18 months regarding some weight or sin in your life that you have gained a measure of triumph over, you'll want to come and... Just thank him and let people know that God's at work in that way in your life. Fourth, if there has been a restored relationship that was broken and you found resources to be reconciled through this word, you'll come. Fifth, if a major new way of viewing the world has happened in your mind so that... A major shift in the way you see God and life such that you think differently and you pray differently has happened. You'll want to testify to that. Sixth, if you entered a crisis in these 18 months and found remarkable strength from the book of Hebrews to survive and walk through that crisis... For Christ's sake, you'll want to come. And finally, if God has called you into missions or has turned you to a vocational change for kingdom purposes, you'll want to come. Okay. Now, you can think about that and pray about it for the next 20 minutes or so while we look at this text. And the question I posed as I came to this last text is, what does this writer want to leave us with? If you had finished a 13-chapter exhortation, which, strangely enough, he calls a brief word (laughs) of exhortation, which meant he had lots more he could have written. If you came to the end of a 13-chapter letter to somebody, and it was as rich as it could be, what would you want to leave them with? That's the question I'm asking. And that's, that's what he tells us. And he does it with a blessing in verses 20 and 25. He does it with a benediction in verse 25. I mean 20 and 21 and then verse 25. So let's take it. I'll mention uh, six blessings or six gifts that he wants you to have as you leave this morning. And when I say you... When I use you have this and you have this and you have this, I mean you who trust His promises and you who put your life in His hands. Put your trust in His promises, put your life in His hands. If you do that, these gifts that I'm going to now announce are yours. Number one. You have a God of peace. Verse 20. Now the God of peace. What does that mean? God of peace. God is at peace with himself. And God is at peace with his people. A lot of you had fathers. And longed for fathers who were at peace. And a lot of you had fathers who were not at peace with themselves, nor with the family. They were tormented, they were divided in themselves, they were torn and frustrated and double minded and distant. And angry, and the peace of Christ did not rule in their hearts, and they didn't make the peaceful fruit of righteousness, as chapter 12 says, our Father does. There was tension, there was stress, there was sadness, there was fear, there was uncertainty, there was no sweet, happy, relaxed, Secure peace in the home, and you wanted that, and you didn't get it. Now, the promise of this text is you now have it. Your Father in heaven is a God of peace. I picture this God like an ocean on a calm day. It is as deep as the Pacific, seven miles deep in places. That's a lot of water. And on the surface, on a broad, clear day, endless peace. Huge calm and weight. That's the way the mind of God is. God is not tormented in himself. He's not frustrated. He's not double-minded. He's not agonizing over what to do about things. He's not fearful. He's not mean-spirited. There is a massive calm in the mind of God and such that He has sent His Son into the world to make peace with His people so that there can be a family of tremendous reconciliation and peace in the world. Therefore, you need to accept that and make that the defining right reality in your life. You need to lay down the bad memories. You need to lay it down. You need to stop pitying yourself and whining about your parents. You've got a father. Don't dishonor your father because he is a God of massive peace and he's yours. And you are his child. And the family is one of peace with God. And he comes to you with that precisely to heal you. And to be for you what nobody else ever could be for you under the best of circumstances. And therefore, as Hebrews closes, embrace a Father of peace, a God of peace. And know that He's resting. He's resting. Secondly, you have a deathless shepherd. Verse 20 again. Now the God of peace, who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep. It is amazing to me, I'm not sure why it is the case, but it's amazing to me, that until now, in 13 chapters, this writer has never identified Jesus as a shepherd. That has never been a motif in this book. Shepherd and sheep are not there. But when he contemplates, how shall I leave this people? What shall I say? that they have as I close my book and perhaps never see them again or perhaps we will. He thinks and he says, I'll leave them a shepherd. I'll remind them that the Christ I have described for them when I said in chapter 13, verse 5, I will never leave you or forsake you. I'm going to put a name on that now. I will never leave you or forsake you so that you can confidently say the Lord is our helper We will not fear what can man do to us. I'll put a name on that. This is great shepherd. In fact, I'll remind them that their shepherd died, but now is raised and is alive, and therefore no wolf attacking the flock can consume the shepherd. No giant Goliath, Coming against the people of God and the little flock can ever triumph over this shepherd because he has died and is alive and cannot die again and therefore all the flock, if you will be his flock, will never lose. You can't be destroyed. You have a deathless guard and a deathless guide. One of the reasons this book is so passionate about saying, don't drift away from the flock, is you've got a deathless shepherd. Why would you leave a deathless shepherd? who leads you to green pastures and still waters and can protect you from all the wolves of the world and get you out of thickets of briars when you get yourself involved and just when you're ready to tip over a cliff can draw you back. Why would you want to leave a shepherd like that? That's what drives this book and its whole vision of perseverance. We have an undying, immortal Deathless shepherd. Third, you have a blood-bought eternal covenant that God has made with you. Verse 20 again. Now the God of peace who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord. Blood of the eternal covenant. Covenant. Now, that's a reference back to chapters 8 and 10 and Jeremiah 33 and Ezekiel 11 and Ezekiel 36 and Deuteronomy 30 to the new covenant that was promised in the old covenant. And the new covenant is different from the old covenant because the old covenant was broken and failed It had to be replaced by a new covenant. And what makes the new covenant new is that it is eternal. And what makes it eternal is that it is founded on blood of the Son of God. And God pledges himself not only to fulfill his side of the covenant, but to come around into us and enable us to fill our side of the covenant. This is the marvel of the new covenant. Let me show you that in number four. This is your fourth gift. You have a God who equips you to do his will. Now, the God of peace who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good thing... To do His will. What makes the covenant that God has made with His people eternal is that He has not only said, I will do all I can do on my side by sending my Son to die for your sins and cover all your guilt and remove all your condemnation and take away all your iniquity. I will do that. But I will also Come around the table of the covenant and on your side equip you with everything good to do my will, says the Lord. So that the conditions of the covenant, which we have been reading about in this book, are not such that you say, I am as secure as I am strong. Don't say that. I am as secure as I am strong. That's not true. You are far more secure than you are strong. Because if your security depended on your strength, you would not be secure. You would be imperiled every day. Someone might say... Okay. All right. He comes around the table to equip me, it says, with everything good that I might do his will. But I must respond in faith, embracing all of that equipment, the word, prayer, community, worship, suffering, the equipping that enables us to do His will, I must do that, I must receive that, I must bank on that, so I am as secure as I am strong. And the reason this writer did not end the sentence there is because he does not agree with that. He does not agree with that. You are not as secure as you are strong. And you are not even left to yourself when it comes to embracing that with which he equips you to do his will. So the fifth gift to you is said to be his work in you that you might please him. Let's read the whole... The whole benediction now. Now, the God of peace, who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do his will. Here it comes. Working in you, working in us, that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. No, when he comes around the table on this side, having shed the blood of his own son that he might cover the sins of his people and lays on the table the document called the covenant, which has the conditions of the obedience of faith, He then, to make it a new and eternal covenant, different from the old covenant, which we broke, though he was our husband, he walks around to the other side of the table where we are hearing the conditions of the covenant, and he does two things, not one thing. One, he equips us with everything good to do his will. Means of grace, word, Prayer, fellowship, various providences, suffering, worship, fasting, solitude, many things. And secondly, he does not stay on the outside watching. Hmm, wonder what they will do with this equipment, prayer. wonder if they'll pray. I wonder if they'll go to worship. You think you got to here on your own this morning? You think you're here on your own this morning? You are proud and arrogant. It says in James 4.15, if you think that. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that church and worship there. You do not know your life. It's two seconds long. Rather, you should say, if the Lord wills, we shall get to Bethlehem and worship this morning. And if you're here, he willed it. And if you're not, you wouldn't be listening. So the second thing he does is not stand out wondering how you will respond, but he moves in and works in you that which is pleasing in his sight. What's that? Anybody remember from chapter 11, verse 6? Without what, you can't please God? Faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Chapter 11, verse 6. Here, yes indeed, we must embrace by faith the equipment of God to do His will. Yes, But no, you are not left to your own native, fallen, bankrupt, corrupt, evil will to do it. For nobody would. We must have God. And He moves into us and works in us that which is pleasing in His sight. And therein lies the security of John Piper. And there alone... If God were to withdraw from John Piper his persevering influences of sovereign grace, I would go one direction, hellward, not Godward. I have one hope that in a year I'll still be a Christian and still be preaching. One hope that I will not make shipwreck of the faith, destroy this church, bring reproach upon the gospel, and ruin my family. One hope. God works in me to do what pleases Him. That's my only hope. I am totally dependent on grace. Which is why... The next phrase says, to whom be glory. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever. Amen. When, when the age is over, folks, and the sheep and the goats are divided, and you are home with God in His holy heaven, Jesus is going to get the credit for your being there. All of it! He's going to get the credit for the price that He paid. And He's going to get the credit for the power that He exerted on your rebellious will to subdue it to His own. And if you try to take credit for that, you are in Perilous circumstances, robbing Christ of his glory. One last gift, and it's a summary of them all. Verse 25. God gives you, as you leave this morning, and as we leave this text, grace, future grace. Verse 25. His last word to you. Grace be with you all. Grace be with you all. His conception of grace, you remember from chapter chapter uh, 4, verse 16. Let us come boldly before the throne of what? The throne of grace, that we may... Um, Receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Grace to help in time of need. That's what he's talking about here. Grace be with you tomorrow. Got an exam this week, students? Grace be with you. He's not going to leave you. He will not leave you. He's not indifferent to that. Grace be with you. Met with a couple after the church this morning to pray with them. They got a huge crisis they're facing this afternoon in the family. Grace be with them. It's going to be there. It's going to be there at three o'clock. That's future grace. That's what this verse is saying. You got some difficult thing you're going to deal with this week. You just lose a job. Another woman came to me and said, "I lost my job the day before yesterday," and she was smiling. She said, "Thank you for grace. Grace is going to do it. Grace will see me through." Some of the days uh, are bright, and some of the days are dark, and we're all going to die, and there's going to be a dying grace when that comes. Grace be with you. Past grace, you remember, we've done this before, I'll act it out again. Past grace is what happened, everything up until now in our lives, and especially the death of Jesus. So we stand on that. God is faithful. He has proved it in the past. He's a God of grace. He covered all my sins by shedding the blood of His Son, and I stand on that. That's like a rock underneath me. But I don't keep looking down. I look to the future where He promises to be for me all that I need. I will never leave you. Come on. Come on into future grace, Piper. Come on. And I'm walking into future grace this afternoon. And tomorrow I'll walk into more future grace, and I'll walk into more. I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. You can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear, what can man do to me? And you walk into more and more grace. Don't let grace be as small as your past. Even, and I say it with some trembling, don't let grace be only the cross for you. The cross was given to purchase future grace. And faith is primarily confidence in future grace built upon past grace. If you don't trust future grace, you will not live the Christian life. You cannot. Okay, we're ready to end. Let me explain to you why I'm doing it this way and what I want to do as we close. Um, Notice in verse 20, again, Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I really believe the Lord Jesus should get some glory this morning. More than just me saying that he's glorious. One of the ways I believe the Lord should get glory this morning is with an assembly of people here at the front who by standing here are saying, God in these last 18 months has done one of those seven things in my life. So I'm going to tell you what they are again, and then we're going to invite you to come. Here they are. Those who have been converted to Christ, brought to faith through the Word of God. Second, Those who were straying and drifting. And then you heard all these warnings and you sobered up and realized your life was one cavalier, blase, devil-may-care attitude towards Christ. And you were stunned that the Christian life is a spiritual warfare to fight for faith every day. And you got back on the path and you're so thankful that you are doing serious business with God today. And you were playing games 18 months ago. Third You have been enabled to renounce some besetting sin and gotten some measure of victory over that weight or sin. And you want to keep on in it. Fourth, a relationship was broken and because of what you experienced of God humbling you to take your part perhaps to close and get it reconciled. Fifth, a major new way of viewing the world that just Blew you away, perhaps, about the way God is or the way Jesus is or the way grace is. And you don't pray the same anymore. You don't walk the same anymore. You don't think the same anymore. It's all new and gloriously more biblical. Sixth, you've entered a crisis. And God has ministered to you strength to get you through and bear the crisis through the word of God in Hebrews. And finally, God has called you to missions or a vocational change for kingdom purposes. Now, here's the way we're going to do this. Um, In your worship folder, would you all take it? At the end is a song. And I asked Chuck to print this song and sing this song. Because of all the songs that we've been learning together and singing, this one, I believe, expresses so wonderfully, powerfully, and profoundly what our hearts are going to be longing for as we stand together and come to the front. That we want Jesus to be our all and the best and our righteousness and we want to express our love to him and we want to be freed from what the world wars to own. There are deep longings. This is all an exposition of Philippians 3, 7 to 12. That's what this song is in case you wonder where it comes from. This is just Philippians 3, 7 to 12. And so we're going to sing that through and at the end uh, I'm going to pray for those who've come and then we will dismiss the... Man, we'll keep singing for a while. You can linger or you can go. Would you all stand? And if you're in one of those seven categories, I invite you to just assemble at the front here as we sing.